Welcome to Soft Landing, the podcast that makes interior design accessible to everyone. Hey guys, I'm Amy. I'm an interior designer, artist, and space planner. I'm here to talk about everything you need to know about interior design, from furniture to finances. I'm sharing over a decade of experience to help you find real design solutions and craft the space of your dreams. Greetings, my dear design fans. You are tuned in to episode 29 of Soft Landing, and I have a confession to make. For years now, I've been harboring a deep and shameful secret, a resentment that runs so cold, I couldn't bear to admit my feelings to even my most inner circle of friends. So today, together with you, I'm facing it head on. I don't know the exact cause or root of the whole thing, but for years, I've actively despised Chip and Joanna Gaines from the Magnolia franchise and the HGTV show Fixer Upper. I mean, loathed, loathed them. (laughs) Maybe it was how narrow their point of view seemed or how provincial and repetitive their design solutions were, or maybe I was just jealous of the incredible empire they've built over the last two decades. But the worst part of it all is that I have never once, once, never once, ever seen an episode of Fixer Upper. So what am I even basing these feelings on exactly? Ever since I was even a student of interior design, I've pretty much avoided HGTV like it was the plague. HGTV in general is really frustrating to many of us designers because it sets up unrealistic expectations for potential clients in terms of timeline, budget, and style. It shows just enough of the design and renovation process to make people feel like they understand it without actually educating viewers about all the ups and downs of the process. And you know, I haven't even had cable TV in years, but this week I was on a little mini vacation staying at a hotel, and of course the hotel had cable TV, and I was recuperating from a day of downhill skiing, so what else would I be doing except watching HGTV in the hotel? And to be honest, it was pretty inspiring, at least in terms of podcast episode content. So I decided to settle in and binge the first six episodes of Fixer Upper. I tried to get through all of season one, but I just couldn't do it. It's a lot. But hey, I'm of the school of thought that any reservation is a disaster in reserve. So I really went into it with a fair and open mind. And so I'm going to give you my full and honest opinion about the show that has inspired not only a million dollar empire for the two stars, but also created an unstoppable force of nature tidal wave of trends that has completely changed the do-it-yourself blogosphere and brought the farmhouse vernacular to the far corners of the earth. Okay, so 
Fixer Upper ran on HGTV from 2013 to 2018 with a total of five seasons. And there is currently a sixth season that began um, towards the end of January 2021 on Discovery Plus, the streaming platform. The show follows real-life husband and wife team Chip and Joanna Gaines as they help residents of Waco, Texas and the surrounding areas select and renovate historic homes. These homes are often in great states of disrepair, creating dramatic before and after reveals at the end of each episode. So now, if you didn't know what the show is about, that's the cliff notes. So diving into episode one, right out the gate with the intro narrative of the show, the first thing I wrote down in my notes was classism question mark. Listen, I want this to be fun and light, but I also feel like it would be an over-edit to talk about the built environment without talking about things like money, equity, class, and accessibility, because these factors all drive our decisions from determining our budget to what we want our neighbors to think or not think. Let me read you the intro that triggered me so much. Okay, so it goes... Every town has that neighborhood, the one with the perfect commute, great schools, and amazing homes. It's the one everyone wants to live in, but few can afford. We're Chip and Joanna Gaines, and we've made those out-of-reach neighborhoods reachable. We do it all. Over the last eight years, we've had four kids, and we've renovated over a hundred properties. All you gotta do is find the worst house on the best block. Then we design, construct, and turn that nightmare into somebody's dream home. Do you have the guts to take on a fixer-upper? So, I was pretty turned off by this intro, I'm not going to lie. I was immediately questioning if there is really such a big difference in the price of a home in the same neighborhood just based on the condition of the house. And maybe that's because I've had New York City real estate goggles on for too long. I mean, just last week, this huge mansion, like two blocks from my apartment, went on the market. And I mean, it's a total wreck. It's got like chain link fence around it. I don't think it's been taken care of over the last 30 years. It's falling apart. It's completely stunning and a very historical home that would make for such a satisfying renovation, but it has major haunted mansion vibes right now. And it's maybe 20% cheaper than a similar house in the same neighborhood that is in good shape. So it's by no means a steal or quote unquote reachable just because it's such a pit but maybe things are different in Texas. I don't know. But secondly, I'm thinking there's the issue of class. I mean, based on the point of view of the show, everyone wants to be rich. And they can be if they're just strategic about it. In my mind, first of all, not everyone wants to be rich or live in a rich neighborhood. Rich neighborhoods often come with a slew of side effects like unspoken behavior and dress codes, covert rivalries, steep homeowners association fees, and social exclusivity. 
And it's not as simple as the show is really making it seem. I think the old strategy of buying the smallest or most modest home in a good neighborhood is a solid move. Totally solid move. I really do think that. But taking on a major renovation is rarely smooth sailing. It's also a great way to piss off your brand new neighbors. Okay, all that said, let's dive into episode one. So we have Doug and Lacey who are interested in the Castle Heights neighborhood of Waco, Texas. So right away, I can tell you, everyone's voices and Texas accents are really nice to listen to. I'm just kind of enjoying the tone and speed of the show. Chip and Joanna give Doug and Lacey three options in terms of houses. Two are just okay, and one is in really, really bad shape, like falling apart, total wreck. They do this really cute post-editing effect where they lay a piece of trace paper over the video of the existing home and sketch what they want to do to show how they would change the house. It's a pretty cute effect. Okay, so then Chip says the term built-in, which is... I I get very upset when I hear the term built in. I don't know why. It's this uh this trend that I've been hearing a lot of people say and it's like a compound word. So it's an, anytime there's a bench or a cabinet that's built into the home, I hear people refer to it as a built-in. And listen, the the term is millwork, buddy. Like I get it if you're a DIYer and you're using terminology that's not correct, but Chip is a professional contractor. The term is millwork. Cabinets, that kind of thing, that's all millwork. Okay, just just setting that out there. I like that they're highlighting um, what's important and not changeable about a home. So things like a big backyard, the location, the commute, the view, they're really encouraging their clients to look beyond the cosmetics of a house and visualize what could be. And that's so important. I love that they're really driving that home really in every episode, but they talk about it a lot in the first episode. I am keeping a tally as I go through the episode of how many times they say built-in. So we're at uh, built-in tally number three. Um, and so, okay, so they picked the wreck. They picked the the house that's like falling apart, which I got really excited about because it's going to be a way better before and after. It just makes for better television to have like a really rough house that's going to get transformed. Then they jump to Chip and Joanna kind of interacting. There's a lot of banter in between the two of them, and it's a, it's a kind of unusual dynamic between a contractor and designer. Typically, you don't have your contractor and designer working together or for the same company. They're two separate companies that you would hire separately. So the fact that they come as like a package deal is kind of interesting, and they're their dynamic is interesting too. It's it's a little bit different. Normally there's, I think, a little bit more tension between contractors and designers, and there is tension between them, but they're married, so it all comes off as very playful. Like he calls her Jojo and is kind of patronizing to her, but I don't know. I guess it's kind of funny. It, he seems to 
really reinforce a lot of heteronormative stereotypes when talking about her, which is a little weird. But he also talks about how amazing she is and that she's basically a design genius. And I don't think she actually returns the favor, or if she did, they cut that out. But I feel like they really want us to know how amazing Joanna is. They're really hammering that home that Joanna is a genius. Just take note, viewers. So then we kind of jump into some realistic issues with this wreck that they've selected. So they're worried about foundation problems. There's ivy growing all over the house, which can definitely cause damage to the house itself. And Chip is crawling under the house to inspect its foundation, which is kind of hilarious. And then Joanna is showing her design concept to the clients where, you know, she wants to knock down a bunch of walls, add some crown molding. And at this point, I noted I haven't heard anyone say shiplap yet, which I was kind of surprised about because Fixer Upper is all about shiplap. So I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the shiplap to arrive. So then they kind of dive into pricing, which I, I, this is actually one of my favorite things about the show is that they itemize all of the different renovations and they put a, they associate a price tag with each one. And it's kind of crazy because, so this episode was filmed in 2013 in Texas and they're basically saying $40,000 is the budget to renovate an entire home, which is insane. I mean, I think in New York city today, you can spend $40,000 on a single kitchen if you like. So it's just, it's helpful to see the, all the different prices and I like it, but it also feels like, wow, that was a long time ago. One thing that Joanna says that I think is great is that she always encourages her clients to have five to 10 grand stowed away for miscellaneous items, which is such a good suggestion. Then they go to a granite yard to look at countertops, which is very fun, very cool. It's a good thing to do with your clients so you can look at the entire slab, pick out the exact piece that you're getting. She also mentions that she loves to shop estate sales for furniture. I wrote down yay because I love estate sales. Um, it's, It's very sustainable to shop estate sales. And if you've never tried it, I would recommend it. So uh, zero mentions of shiplap at this point in episode one, but the word built in has been said four times. Okay, so we get to the end of the show and what I'm realizing is this show is actually kind of genius because there are two reveals in every show. So you have the real estate reveal and then the remodel reveal. So we started with them looking at three houses then they kind of build up to revealing which of the three they choose. And then they spend the rest of the show renovating the house. And then the very end of the show is the reveal of the new house. So the owners are really excited. It's a very dramatic shift. Moving on to episode two, we are working with couple Charmaine and Chuck. And... Charmaine and Chuck also choose the worst house that they looked at. This one is so bad, it's actually owned by the city. Um, it's an old mansion, and it is, it's probably condemned. I mean, they don't say that, but it's in terrible shape. Um, but it's very cheap, and so they basically spend 90% of their budget on the renovation, which is cool, into that for sure. I've noticed in this episode and in the first episode, but not all the episodes, they 
tell you what day of construction it is. So it's like, oh, it's day 15 of construction. And it seems like they're trying to do it in 30 days, but they don't ever really tell you like what the final day count was or what they were trying to target, which I think this is a bit of a problem here because renovations can take a really long time. I mean, in commercial design, we expect renovations to take four months. Like that's just assumed. I don't know about individual homes, but I think 30 days sounds a little tight and unrealistic. And that's assuming that everything goes according to plan, right? Like tiles don't show up damaged on site, but um, there are always little setbacks. So I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I wish that they were being a little bit more transparent about that because I think it's an important thing to communicate to clients and to people who are interested in renovating that things can take a little bit longer than you might expect or hope for. So I don't know what the construction day count is about. They show it sometimes and never really reference it's okay. So it's day 14, but like, what does that mean? You know, like, is that day 14 out of 90? Is it day 14 out of 30? Who knows? Anyways, the, the most important thing about episode two is that we finally start to hear about shiplap. So there's actual existing shiplap on this wreck that Charmaine and Chuck bought. And it's Joanna actually takes the time to explain what it is, which is great. Apparently, it's a really common wall material in old Texas homes, and it's something that they use instead of drywall. So it's not a finish that you put on top of drywall. They would just put wood planks on top of their studs, I guess. So a lot of these homes just have that as their wall surface or sometimes even under their drywall, which is really cool. Um, And so they go to expose that in this old house. They use the word built-in again, which is driving me insane. Uh, One thing that Joanna always does is she fully renders the entire house in SketchUp and walks the client through the entire process. And then there's always three options at the end. So she'll say, okay, we're redoing your kitchen. We're redoing your living room. And then you get to pick, do you want the office, the deck, or the backyard? And that's kind of nice. That's like another reveal, right? Which one are they going to pick? One of the other things she says in this episode that annoyed me was that she she seems to think that her style is very classic. She doesn't want to bring anything too trendy. I put that nothing too trendy in quotes. Um, (laughs) I got a little mean in my notes here. I said this is folksy. It looks like she's raiding the TGI Friday's dumpster. But really, that's all just to say that um, she's definitely going for an antique look, which is sort of a trend. I think it's always really interesting when people describe their taste as classic because it's like, well, classic according to who? You know what I mean? Like, everything is a look. Everything has its own vibe. Everything resonates with some people and not others, but some people think their look is classic. So what are you going to do? She is really focused on preserving the history of a home. So trying to keep designs in line with the era that the home was built, which I love. I think that's really a great way to go. Episode 
three, we have the Ivies, and they end up going with a very cool 70s, like, bungalow house that almost looks like it could be in California or maybe, um from the Brady Bunch. I really, I love this style of home with a slanted roof and there's a really cool atrium that they change in the end. And I wrote down that she wants to add beams to the ceiling, which I've talked about this on Instagram before. I think adding beams to a ceiling is a big mistake because they can be mistaken for structure. And if someone goes to make changes in the home after that, like if you sell the home, they might actually think that your beams are structural and decide to hang something off of it when it's actually not structural. I think it's kind of a a bad move, but they add beams to the ceiling. The other thing that I wrote, I said, are they real estate agents? Because they're always, they're showing homes to their clients that are on the market, apparently. So they're always saying, oh yeah, you should put in an offer that's $10,000 lower than what they're asking for. And I'm just like, are they real estate agents? I don't understand. I don't think that they are. So they reveal this house and... uh, I loved the house before. I think I liked it before better, even though it was in such bad shape. A lot of the stuff that they did to this house, this is one example where I don't think Joanna did keep within the style of the house because it's a 1970s house and they did all of this like farmhouse aesthetic stuff to it. I would have much rather seen them embrace the southwestern cowboy Texas vibe, which I feel like that marries so much better with the 70s aesthetic, but they went farmhouse. Episode 4 is a mother and daughter in West Texas, so they're outside of Waco now, and this was a mother who lost her entire house in the West Texas fertilizer explosion. So... One thing I'm noticing is that they propose pergolas in the backyards of every episode. And I'm also noticing now that none of their crew wears hard hats on site. And I'm not sure why that is or how that is safe. Because even though it's a TV show, it's still an active construction site. So I thought that was really strange. So the mom on this episode picks a really cute craftsman home that is actually not in bad shape at all. There are just a lot of changes that they make so that it functions better for her. And most of the updates that they do are actually really nice. I thought this was a nice project. The only thing that I thought was a mistake was that they painted the exterior brick kind of like a light off-white color, but I preferred the original color of the exterior brick. I thought painting it was a mistake. Episode 5 is the Sanders. Now this is the highest budget we've had so far. Uh, They always tell you the client's budget. Their budget is $650,000. And the house that they pick is not in bad shape, but it definitely needs a lot of work because this couple, the Sanders, very specifically wants a French country style home. And it's kind of funny because Joanna says that they vacation in Italy a lot, so they want a French country home. (laughs) And I don't really understand that, but Prepare to hear the term French country literally every minute of the show. I lost count at 13. Um, I don't really know what French country is. I've realized that by watching this show and I'm 
Actually, not sure they do either, but uh, they want it. It's got to be French country. Uh, but they picked their house because it's got a really awesome view, which was a good good call on their part. Good job, guys. One thing that I'm noticing here in this episode, too, is that Chip and Joanna seem to think that they've trademarked the phrase demo day, meaning they cram all of their demolition that they need to do on the house into one single day, and it's like a big thing. I thought that was interesting. I've actually, when I was doing a little bit of research about the show, I saw that they have like hashtag demo day, and I'm like, oh, I think that's just like a regular construction thing. Okay, so they're back to showing day counts on uh, the construction, and this job took almost 90 days, it seems like. Um, Not a big fan of this house, personally. I guess, even though I'm not 100% sure what French country is, I don't think I like it. (laughs) It's just not really my flavor. But it was interesting to see them work with a slightly different budget, different set of needs, and to take a house that maybe wasn't exactly a wreck but kind of transform it pretty extensively aesthetically episode six is oh it's clint clint and clint's wife i didn't explain who clint was so there are a kind of little side cast of characters of all the crew and tradesmen that the gains work with and clint is joanna's furniture maker but On episode six, he's her client, which has got to be awkward, Uh, but they seem to manage okay. So Clint and his wife choose, of course, the wreck, but they refer to it as the pit, which I love. Um, And they are dealing with all kinds of water damage. The house is just an absolute disaster. There was a lot of furniture left behind and... Chip is actually um, busting into the floor in the kitchen and he has like his entire upper body like dangling down into the basement to see if he can find water damage on the joists, which is pretty hilarious. But then he comes back up and says, "Uh, they're perfectly fine. Don't worry. They dodged a bullet. Um, But then they have all of these duct issues, which takes up a ton of money. Um, So they work through all of that and they make a house they're really happy with, which is cool. I love, I do love when these HGTV shows have more realistic setbacks, like, is there water damage? What do we do with this HVAC system? Like, those are, those are realistic problems that you have to work through when you're renovating an existing space. So, I, I like seeing that. I think it's important to show that. It's not all just superficial knocking down walls for fun and um, putting doors and windows wherever we feel like it. There's a lot of coordination that goes on. So the more I see of that, the better. So those are the six episodes that I watched. And one thing that I wanted to mention is just the town of Waco, Waco, Texas, right? Like I really... It might just be my generation or my personal experience, but I still associate Waco, Texas almost exclusively with the Branch Davidians and David Koresh and the whole, like, cult experience that happened there in the 90s. So it was actually really nice for me to see a different side of Waco and learn a little bit more about the town and just see what it was like outside of that one cult moment, which I'm sure they're desperately trying to live down. But the other thing that I was really curious about was the demographics of Waco. 
Waco racially breaks down as um, 70.54% white and 21.2% black or African. I think this is based on the latest census data. And then 3.24 other race and two or more races is 2.45%. So Joanna Gaines is two or more races and pretty much everybody else on the show is white. There are uh, two characters that are not white. One is Andy, the electrician. He's not white. And the other is um, Charmaine from episode two, who is actually um, Charmaine Hooper, Canadian Soccer Hall of Fame member. So she's pretty accomplished. Um, And so that's not really a mirror of Waco's makeup. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. I feel like we're not really seeing the full diversity that Waco has to offer, which is, you know, still not that diverse. But even within that population, we're not really seeing an accurate reflection. So I think that's kind of unfortunate that the people on the show weren't more diverse. But I think that's a, you know, it's a problem. A lot of TV shows have not unique to fixer upper but just something that I noticed and I mean overall I would say the draw of the show is pretty undeniable it's really fun to see these intense projects go from start to finish in 45 minutes and I love the reveals I get really caught up in which of the three properties they should pick and I feel like I won something when they pick the one that I liked the most And the before and afters of the houses is always really dramatic. And, you know, every episode has a few shots of Chip and Joanna working on their own renovation of Magnolia Farm. That kind of ties everything together. And sometimes Joanna takes her clients to her own job site to demonstrate how she wants something to look or feel, which is fun to see. And overall, the goal of the show is to repair and restore old homes and make them really functional for a family. Joanna has some funny design tricks that she always seems to use, the good ones being focusing on maximizing natural daylight and trying to stay in the context of the time period when the home was built, which sometimes happens and sometimes doesn't. And then there are her other design go-tos that seem to occur literally on every project, no matter what. And I made a little list of them. So with every single episode, you can expect French doors, a kitchen island, cased openings, backyard pergolas, painted white brick, and shiplap. I'm glad I actually sat down and watched a few episodes of this show, even though I think a lot of my preconceived notions about the show were right. I feel a lot less animosity towards the gains, and I might even say I'm kind of a fan now. What do you think? Have you watched the show? Do you like it? Do you feel like this whole episode was blasphemy as you sit in your Magnolia home for Target recliner? Let me know. You can send me a message through our Instagram at Soft Landing Podcast. 
or you can write me a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, my dears, keep your homes beautiful and your heads in the clouds. Bye. Yeah.